You are listening to RudolfSteinerAudio.com. If you are listening to the podcast of this, it is located at RudolfSteiner.Podbean.com. Please consider becoming a patron. As well, there are two publishing houses, SteinerBooks.org in America and RudolfSteinerPress.com in England, who are the sole publishers of Steiner into English and have given me permission to do these recordings. Please consider patronizing them as well. This is a reading of a compilation set of cycles by Rudolf Steiner entitled The Festivals and Their Meaning. This is Lecture 2, entitled Signs and Symbols of the Christmas Festival, given in Berlin on the 17th of December, 1906. The festival of Christmas, which we shall soon be celebrating, acquires new life, when a deeper, more spiritual conception of the world is brought to bear upon it. In a spiritual sense, the Christian festival is a festival of the sun, and as such we shall think of it today. To begin with, let us listen to the beautiful hymn to the sun which Goethe puts into the mouth of Faust. Quote, Life's pulses, newly quickened, now awaken, softly, to greet the ethereal twilight leaping. Thou, earth, through this night too hast stood unshaken, and at my feet fresh breathest from thy sleeping. Thou girdest me about with gladness, priming, my soul to stern resolve and strenuous keeping, onward to strive, to highest life still climbing. Unfolded lies the world in twilight shimmer, with thousand-throated song the woods are chiming. The dales, where through the mist-wreaths wind lie dimmer, yet heavenly radiance plums the deeps unnumbered, and bough and twig newly quickened bud and glimmer forth from the fragrant depths where sunk they slumbered, whilst hue on hue against the gloom still heightens where bloom and blade with quivering pearls are cumbered. A very paradise about me lightens. Look up! The giant peaks that rise supernal herald the solemn hour. For them first brightens the early radiance of the light eternal. Upon us valley dwellers later showered. Now are the green-sunk alpine meadows vernal, with radiance new and new distinctness dowered. And, stepwise, downward, hath the splendor thriven. He sallies forth, and I, mine overpowered, And aching eyes to turn away am driven. Thus when a yearning hope from fear and wonder Up to the highest wish in trust hath striven, The portals of fulfillment yawn asunder, Then bursts from yonder depths whose days ne'er dwindle, Excess of flame, we stand as smit with thunder. A torch of fire it was we sought to kindle, a sea of fire, and what a fire hath penned us. Ist love, ist hate, that yonder glowing spindle in bliss and bale alternating tremendous about us twines, till we the dazed beholders to veil our gaze in earth's fresh mantle wend us. Nay, then, the sun shall bide behind my shoulders, the cataract that through the gorge doth Thunder I'll watch with growing rapture, mid the boulders from plunge to plunge, down-rolling, rent asunder in thousand, thousand streams. Aloft that shower foam 
upon hissing foam the depths from under. Yet blossoms from this storm a radiant flower. The painted rainbow bends its changeful being, now lost in air, now limbed with clearest power, shedding this fragrant coolness round us fleeing. Its rays an image of man's efforts render. Think, and more clearly wilt thou grasp it, seeing life in the many-hued reflected splendor. Close quote, translation by Latham. Steiner again. Goethe lets these words be spoken by Faust, the representative of humanity, as he gazes at the radiant morning sun. But the festival of which we are now to speak has to do with a sun belonging to a far deeper realm of being than the sun which rises anew every morning. And it is this deeper sun that will be the guiding motif in our thoughts today. And now we will listen to words in which the deepest import of the Christmas mystery is mirrored. In all ages these words resounded in the ears of those who were pupils of the mysteries, before they were allowed to participate in the mysteries themselves. Uh, the German first, quote, Die Sonne schaue um mitternächtige Stunde mit Steinenbauer im lebenlosen Kunde. So finde im Niedergang und in des Todes Nacht der Schöpfung neuen Anfang des Morgens jünger macht. Die Höhen las offenbaren der Götter ewiges Wort, die Tiefen sollen bewahren den friedensvollen Hort. Im Dunkel lebend erschaffe eine Sonne, im Stoffe webend Erkenne Geistes Wonne. English. Behold the sun at the midnight hour, Build with stones in the lifeless ground, Thus in decay and in the night of death Find the creation's new beginning, Young morning's strength. Glory in the heights, the eternal word of gods, Shelter in the depths, the powers of peace. In darkness dwelling, create a sun, In matter weaving. Know the joy of spirit. Close quote. Steiner again. Many to whom the Christmas tree with its candles is a familiar sight today believe that it is a very ancient institution, but this is not the case. The Christmas tree is a very recent European custom, dating no further back than about a hundred years or so. The Christmas festival itself, however, is very ancient. It was celebrated in the earliest mysteries of all religions, not as a festival of the outer sun, but as one which awakens in people an inkling of the very wellsprings of existence. It was celebrated every year by the highest initiates in the mysteries, at the time of year when the sun sends least power to the earth, bestows least warmth. But it was also celebrated by those who might not yet participate in the whole festival, who might witness only the outer pictorial expression of the highest mysteries. The secrets of these mysteries have been preserved through the ages in images which vary with different creeds and cultures. The Christmas festival is the festival of the Holy Night, celebrated in the mysteries by those who were ready for the awakening of the higher self within them, or, as we should say in our time, those who have brought the living Christ to birth within them. 
Only those who have no inkling of the fact that as well as chemical and physical forces, spiritual forces are also at work and that the workings of both kinds of forces take effect at definite times and seasons in cosmic life, can imagine that the moment of the awakening of our higher self is of no importance. In the great mysteries, the world could be perceived as radiant light and color, filled with spirit and the spiritual beings at work within it. There can be no more sublime experience than this, and in due time it will come to everyone. For some it may be only after many incarnations. Nevertheless, the moment will come for us when Christ will be resurrected within us and new vision, new hearing will awaken. In preparation for the awakening, pupils in the mysteries were first taught the cosmic significance of this awakening. Only then was the initiation itself performed. It took place at the time when darkness on the earth is greatest, when the external sun gives out least light and warmth, at Christmas time. Those who are familiar with spiritual facts know that at this time of the year, forces favorable for such an awakening stream through cosmic space. During his preparation, the pupil was told that whoever wished to gain true knowledge must not only know what has been happening on the earth for thousands and thousands of years, but must also be able to survey the whole course of the evolution of humanity, must also know that the great festivals were placed into the course of the year by great leaders of humanity to direct our contemplation toward eternal truths. The pupil's gaze was directed to the time when our earth was not as it is now, when there was no sun, no moon shining in the heavens, but both were still united with the earth, when earth, sun, and moon formed one body. The human being was already in existence at that time, but had no body, was still a spiritual being. No sunlight fell upon these spiritual beings from without, for the sunlight was within the earth itself. This was not sunlight of the kind that shines upon objects and beings nowadays. It was inner spiritual sunlight that glowed within each human being. Then came the time when the sun separated from the earth, when its light shone down upon the earth from without. The sun had withdrawn from the earth, and inner darkness came upon the human being. This was the beginning of our evolution toward a future, when the inner light will again be radiant within us. It was necessary for us to learn to know earthly things with our outer senses, to evolve to the stage where the higher self, the spirit self, again glows and shines within us. From light, through darkness, to light, such is the path of the evolution of mankind. After being prepared in this way, pupils of the mysteries were led to the actual awakening. This was the moment when, as chosen ones, their eyes of spirit were opened and they perceived the spiritual light. This sacred moment came when the outer light was weakest, when the outer sun was shining with least strength. On that day the pupils were called together and the inner light revealed itself to them. To those who were not yet ready to participate in this sacred enactment, it was presented in outward images. These made them aware that the great moment would eventually come for them also, 
that what they saw only in images would one day become their own living experience. Such images belonged to the lesser mysteries. Today we shall hear of what occurred in these lesser mysteries. Everywhere it was the same, in the Egyptian mysteries, in the Eloicinian mysteries, in the mysteries of Asia Minor, of Babylon and Chaldea, as well as in the Mithras cult and in the Indian mysteries of Brahman. Everywhere the same experiences were undergone by the pupils of these mysteries in the midnight hour of the holy night. Early in the evening the pupils gathered together. In quiet contemplation they were to be made aware of the meaning and import of this momentous happening. In deep silence and in darkness they sat together. When the midnight hour drew near, they had been for long hours in the darkened chamber, steeped in the contemplation of eternal truths. Then mysterious tones began to resound, now louder, now gentler, filling the space around them. Hearing these tones, the pupils knew it was the music of the spheres, and their hearts were filled with profound devotion. Then a faint light began to glimmer from an illumined disk. Those who gazed at it knew that this disk represented the earth. The illumined disk became darker and darker until finally it was quite black. At the same time the surrounding space grew brighter. Again the pupils knew. The black disk represents the earth and the sun, which otherwise radiates light to the earth, is hidden. The earth can see the sun no longer. Then ring upon ring, rainbow colors appeared around the earth disk, and those who saw it knew, this is the radiant iris. At midnight, in the place of the black earth disk, a violet-reddish orb gradually became visible, on which a word was inscribed, varying according to the peoples whose members were permitted to experience this mystery. For us, the word would be Christos. Those who gazed at it knew. It is the sun which appears at the midnight hour, when the world around lies at rest in deep darkness. The pupils were now told that they had experienced in images what was known in the mysteries as, quote, seeing the sun at midnight, close quote. Those who are truly initiated can perceive the sun at midnight, for in them matter has been extinguished. The sun of the spirit alone lives within them, dispelling with its light the darkness of material existence. The most holy of all moments in our evolution is to experience that we live in eternal light, freed from the darkness. In the mysteries this moment was represented pictorially year by year at the midnight hour of the holy night. To show that, as well as the physical sun, there is a spiritual sun, which, like the physical sun, must be born out of the darkness. In order that the pupils might realize this even more intensely, they were taken, after they had experienced the rising of the spiritual sun, of the Christos, into a cave, in which there seemed to be nothing but stone, nothing but dead, lifeless matter. But, springing out of the stones, they saw ears of corn as tokens of life, indicating symbolically that out of apparent death life arises, that life is born from dead stone. Then they were told, quote, Just as the sun's power, which appeared to have been extinguished 
is renewed and grows ever stronger from this day on. So out of all that is failing and dying, new life eternally springs. Close quote. The same truth is indicated in the Gospel of St. John in the words, quote, He must increase, but I must decrease. Close quote. John, the herald of the coming Christ, of the spiritual Son, whose festival day in the course of the year falls at midsummer, this John must decrease, in quotes, and in this decreasing there grows the power of the coming spiritual light, increasing in strength in the measure in which John decreases. The grain of seed, likewise, must wither and decay so that the new plant may live and grow. It was necessary for pupils of the mysteries to realize that life is resting within death, that out of decay and death new flowers and fruits arise in splendor, that the earth teems with the powers of birth. They needed to learn that at this time of year something is happening within the earth, the overcoming of death by life, by the life that is present in death. They felt and experienced this as they watched light growing, shining, conquering the darkness. Then in the cave they beheld life springing up in splendor out of apparent death. Thus were the pupils led to believe in the power of life, in what may be called the highest ideal of humanity. Thus did they learn to look toward the time when the earth shall have completed its evolution, when the light will shine forth within all mankind. The physical earth itself will then fall into dust, but a spiritual essence will remain in all human beings who have become inwardly radiant with spiritual light. And the earth and humanity will then waken into a higher existence, into a new phase of existence. As Christianity developed, it came to be felt that Christ, the immortal spirit of the earth, the great ideal of all mankind, must not only embody physical life and growth, but spiritual rebirth above all, and that he must be born during the holy nights, at the time of greatest darkness, as a sign that from the darkness of matter a higher human being can be born within the soul. The sun hero of the ancient mysteries embodied the same ideal as Christ embodied for Christianity. Just as the sun completes its orbit, in the course of the year, its warmth seeming to withdraw from the earth and then again streaming forth, as in its seeming death it holds life and pours it forth anew, so it was with the sun hero, who through the power of his spiritual life gained victory over death, night and darkness. In the mysteries there were seven stages of initiation. First, the stage of the ravens, who might approach only as far as the portal, of the temple of initiation. They were the channels between the outer world of material life and the inner world of spiritual life. They did not belong entirely to the material world, but neither as yet to the spiritual world. We find these ravens, in quotes, again and again, everywhere. They are the messengers who pass hither and thither between the two worlds, bringing tidings. We find them, too, in our German sagas and myths, the ravens of Wotan, the ravens who fly around the Kufhauser. At the second stage, the disciple was led from the portal into the interior of the temple. There he was made ready for the third stage, that of the warrior, 
who went out to make known before the world the occult truths imparted to him in the temple. The fourth stage, that of the lion, was reached by one whose consciousness was no longer confined within the bounds of individuality, but extended over a whole tribal stock. For this reason Christ was called, quote, the lion of the stem of David, close quote. To the fifth stage belonged a man whose still wider consciousness embraced a whole people. He no longer bore a name of his own, but was called by the name of his people. Thus people spoke of the Persian, of the Israelite. Nathaniel was called a true Israelite because he had reached the fifth stage of initiation. The sixth stage was that of the sun hero. We must understand the full meaning of this name. Then we shall realize what awe and reverence surged through the soul of a pupil of the mysteries who was able in the holy night to participate in the festival of a sun hero's birth. Everything in the cosmos takes its rhythmic course. The stars as well as the sun follow a mighty rhythm. Were the sun to abandon this rhythm even for a moment, an upheaval of untold magnitude would take place in the universe. Rhythm holds sway through all of nature. The violet and lily bloom at the same time each year. Animals have their regular rutting times. But when we reach the human level, things look rather different. The rhythm which, through the course of the year, holds sway in the growth, propagation, and so forth of plant and animal worlds ceases when we come to the human being. Our potential for freedom means that the more highly civilized we are, the more this rhythm declines. Just as light disappears at Christmas time, so rhythm apparently departs from our life and chaos prevails. But we must give birth again to rhythm within ourselves, out of our own initiative. By the exercise of our own will, we must so order our life that it flows in rhythm, immutable and sure. Our life must take its course with a regularity like the sun's. It would then be as inconceivable that the rhythm of such a life could be broken as that the sun's orbit should change. The sun hero embodied this unalterable rhythm. Through the power of the higher self within him, he was able to direct the rhythm of the course of his own life. In this sense, Christ Jesus is a sun hero and was conceived as such in the first centuries of Christendom. That is why the festival of his birth was instituted at the time of the year when since ancient days the festival of the birth of the sun hero had been celebrated. That is the reason, too, for everything associated with the history of the life of Christ Jesus. That is why the early Christians celebrated midnight mass in the depths of caves. In this mass, an ocean of light streamed forth at midnight out of the darkness as a remembrance of the rising of the spiritual sun in the mysteries. Hence the birth of Christ in the cave. Again a remembrance of the cave of rock out of which life was born, life symbolized by the ears of corn. As earthly life was born out of the dead stone, so out of the depths was born the highest, Christ Jesus. Associated with the festival of his nativity was the legend of the three priest sages, the three kings who bring to the child gold, 
symbol of outer power and wisdom, myrrh, symbol of the victory of life over death, and frankincense, symbol of the cosmic ether in which the spirit lives. And so, in the whole content of the Christmas festival, we feel something echoing from primeval ages. It has come down to us in the imagery of Christianity. The symbols of Christianity are reflections of the most ancient symbols of mankind. The lighted Christmas tree is one of them. It is a symbol of the tree of paradise, which embodies life and knowledge. Paradise itself signifies material nature in its entirety, within which grow the trees of our spiritual nature and of life. Knowledge can only be won at the cost of life. There is a legend which gives expression to the true meaning of the tree of knowledge and the tree of life. Seth stands before the gate of paradise, craving entry. The cherubim, guarding the entrance with a fiery sword, allow him to pass. This is a sign of initiation. In paradise, Seth finds the tree of life and the tree of knowledge firmly intertwined. The archangel, Michael, who stands in the presence of God, allows him to take three grains of seed from this intertwined tree. The tree stands there as a prophetic indication of the future of mankind. When the whole of mankind has attained initiation and found knowledge, it will bear within it not only the tree of knowledge but also the tree of life. There will be no more death. But in the meantime only an initiate may take from this tree the three grains of seed, the three seeds which symbolize the three higher members of our being. When Adam died, Seth placed these three grains of seed in his mouth, and out of them grew a flaming bush. From the wood cut from this bush, new sprouts, new leaves burst ever and again. But within the flaming ring of the bush was written, quote, I am he who was, who is, who is to be. Close quote. In other words, that which passes through all incarnations, self-renewing and evolving, which descends out of the light into the darkness and out of the darkness ascends again into the light. The staff with which Moses performed his miracles is cut from the wood of the bush. The door of Solomon's temple is made of it. The wood is carried to the waters of the pool of Bethesda, and from it the pool receives the healing properties of which we are told. And from this same wood the cross of Christ Jesus is made. The wood of the cross, which is a symbol of life that passes into death, and yet has within it the power to bring forth new life. The great universal symbol stands before us here, life which conquers death. The wood of this cross has grown out of the three grains of seed of the tree of paradise. The rose cross is also a symbol of the death of the lower nature and the resurrection of the higher. Goethe expressed this in the words, quote, As long as you have not grasped life, issuing forth from death, you're but a troubled guest upon the shrouded earth. Quote. The tree of paradise and the wood of the cross are connected in a most wonderful way. Even though the cross is always an Easter symbol, it deepens our conception of the Christmas mystery too. We feel how in this night of Christ's nativity new upwelling life streams toward us.
This thought is indicated in the fresh roses adorning our tree. They say to us, The tree of the holy night has not yet become the wood of the cross, but the power to become that wood is beginning to arise in it. The roses, growing out of the green, are a symbol of the victory of eternity over time. The square is the symbol of the fourfold nature of man, physical body, etheric body, astral body, and ego. The triangle is the symbol for spirit self, life spirit, spirit man. Above the triangle is the symbol for Tarak. Those who were initiated into the Egyptian mysteries knew how to interpret this sign. They knew, too, how to read the Book of Thoth, consisting of seventy-eight leaves, on which were inscribed all happenings in the world from the beginning to the end, from Alpha to Omega, and which could be read if the signs were rightly put together. These pictures gave expression to the life that dies and then springs again to new life. Whoever could combine the right numbers with the right pictures could read the book. This wisdom of numbers and of pictures has been taught from time immemorial. In the Middle Ages it was still in the foreground, although little of it survives today. Above this symbol is the Tao, the sign that is a reminder of the conception of the divine held by our early forefathers. Before Europe, Asia, and Africa were scenes of human civilization, these early forefathers of ours lived on the continent of Atlantis, which was finally submerged by mighty floods. In the Germanic sagas of Niflheim or Nebelheim, the memory of Atlantis still lives. For Atlantis was not surrounded by pure air. Vast cloud masses moved over the land, like those to be seen today clustering around the peaks of high mountains. The sun and moon did not shine clearly in the heavens. They were surrounded by rainbows, by the sacred iris. At that time the human being understood the language of nature. Today we no longer understand what speaks to us in the rippling of waves, in the noise of winds, in the rustling of leaves, in the rolling of thunder. But in old Atlantis it was understood and felt as a divine reality. And within these voices of clouds and waters and leaves and winds a sound rang forth, Tau, that am I. The people of Atlantis heard and understood it, feeling that Tau pervaded the whole universe. Later Tau was expressed by the letter T, upon which rests a circle, sign of the all-encompassing divine nature. Finally, the pentagram symbol, greeting us from the summit of the tree, represents everything which permeates the universe and is centered in the human being. Of the deepest meaning of the pentagram we may not now speak. But it is the star of humanity, of evolving humanity. It is the star that all enlightened people follow, as did the priest sages of old. It symbolizes the very essence and meaning of earth existence, the great sun hero who comes to birth in the holy night, because the greatest light shines forth then from the deepest darkness. In a future toward which we are striving, the light will be born within us. Then these significant words, quote, The darkness comprehendeth not the light, close quote, will be transformed and truth will ring out into cosmic space. 
then darkness will comprehend the light which shines toward us from the star of humanity, will give way to it and comprehend it, that is, be wholly grasped and permeated by it. The Christmas festival should strike this resounding note within us. Only then do we truly celebrate its deep original message. Only then does it point us forward to the spiritual light which will one day shine out from our inner being, illuminating the whole world. The Christmas festival embodies the highest ideals of mankind. If we can celebrate it truly, it will regain life and significance in our souls. The Christmas tree, also a symbol of the tree of paradise, will take on a truer meaning. Then a joyful assurance will arise in our souls that we too will experience the birth of the higher self, that within each one of us will be born the Savior, the Christ. The end of Lecture 2